Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. What we were just reading is from Parshat Vayera, and I'm just going to sum up where we what we read because we're picking up basically, I think like the verse after what we read. Um, no, maybe like the last Aliyah now that I'm looking at it. Um, but basically, um, at the beginning of the Parsha, Avraham is, um, sees three men walking out in the wilderness, and he goes and greets them and brings him into his tent, and he feeds them. And, um, and then we, um, we pick up here. Uh, so if I can get a volunteer to read the, uh, the English. And basically what we're going to do is we've got this huge chunk of Torah. And then uh, I've got some questions and some commentaries on it. And we can um, kind of put all that in perspective once we've gotten through the text. So if I've got a volunteer to read the uh, verses from Torah. Okay, so we're starting with Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. Then one said, I will return to you next year, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind her. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having her periods. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Now that I've lost the ability, am I to have enjoyment? with my husband so old? Then Adonai said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I in truth bear a child old as I am? Is anything too wondrous for Adonai? I will return to you at the same season next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah lied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was frightened. Came the reply, you did laugh. The agent sent out, set out from there and looked down toward Sodom, Abraham walking with them to see them off. Now Adonai had said, shall I, abide, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham is to become a great and populous nation, and all the nations of the earth are to bless themselves by him. For I have, turn page here, <laughs> I have singled him out that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of Adonai by doing what is just and right, in order that Adonai may bring about for Abraham what has been promised him. Then Adonai said, the outrage of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, is so great, that their sin so grave. I will go down to see whether they have acted altogether according to the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will take note. The agents went on from there to Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before Adonai. Great, thank you, Marshall. So this text kind of acts as our bridge from the angels at the beginning to the then the story of Sodom and Amorah. And um, so I'm just curious, what strikes you about this text as we're reading through this section in particular? Does any, yeah. Go ahead, Marshall. Well, one thing that strikes me is that they're translating the word on Hashim as agents. So these are, in effect, agents of God. Mm -hmm. 
So translation as opposed is, to you know some undisclosed people. Yeah. So that's kind of coming from midrash and from other commentaries, <laughs> but it's not the simple translation of the word. Great. Right. Anyone else? Yeah, Joey. Sarah blatantly lied about laughing. Yes. So she denied it, even though it was obvious that she was doing it. Great. Great. I don't know. Interesting thought. Um, I, I'm curious in particular, how does the story transition from the first story we were talking about, about the the men um, who come to visit Abraham to the story of Sodom and Amorah? I'll rephrase the question. Does it transition? <laughs> Not so well. So it transitions from saying the bridge is God speaking to God's self, saying, shall I hide what I'm about to do? But it kind of comes out of left field. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I, at least that was my first reading of the text, is there's not really a great transition from the first to the other. Like, If I turned in a text that transitioned this way to and as, an, as an assignment, I would not get an A on that assignment. Um, so I'm going to... So that's sort of the framing that I wanted to get through so that we can look now at three different commentaries um, that I think they're not directly speaking to, or they're not intentionally directly speaking to why this transition happens the way it does or doesn't happen the way it does. Um, but I think that they get at connections between the first story and the second story that may be, um, that can help us understand why these two stories are at least put together, even if it's in a kind of awkward um, concert, if you will. So um, the first text we have is from Rashi. Can I get a volunteer to read that text? What am I doing in Sodom? What am I doing in Sodom? It is not proper for me to do this thing without his knowledge. I gave him this land and these five cities, therefore are his, as it is said. And the territory of the Canaanites was from Sidon, and thou goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah, etc. I called him Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. Should I destroy the children without informing the father who loves me? Great. So Rashi here is pulling from um, from the Midrash, um, but um, that's like the last part here. But what is he essentially saying is why it is that at least God is, he's answering the question more so, uh, why, what am I doing? Like, why is God even saying that, I think? So what what's he saying? Um. Oh, I, 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 I thought you were asking the question. I am asking oh. a question. Yeah, I think God considers Abraham his partner now. God considers Abraham his partner. And can, so the end of that would be... Yeah, he, he doesn't want to do something that impacts the relationship, like wiping out sit two cities. Okay, 
So God doesn't want to wipe out two cities without telling Abraham who's his partner in, in the world. Okay. Other thoughts? How, how would this text sort of speak to both, both the first story and the second story at the same time? So this land is now part of Avraham's land, right. and he can't. God doesn't feel like God can do something in that land without telling Avraham. I'm not going to go into my neighbor's yard to pick up a ball necessarily without that went into that yard without at least saying hey, knocking on the door, but saying hey, I'm going to go. You're not going to go into your neighbor's yard and cut down his tree without. Better. I'm not going to go into my neighbor's yard and cut down the tree and use the wood without asking if I can do that first. Okay. Um, and, and even more to the point, I think, of what you're saying, he's just told, he hasn't just told Avraham, this is your land. He's told Avraham, you're, you're about to have kids. This is going to be their land and their land and their onward through the generations. We can, I'm not going to do something that's going to affect this land through the generations without letting you know first. Great. So we have this general idea of because... The, Avraham is going to be the start of a nation in this land. God doesn't want to do anything there. That's what our bridge is between these two stories. God doesn't want to do anything in that land without letting Avraham know. That's Rashi's quasi-bridge between these two stories. It's, Great. it's interesting because Rashi is actually rewriting the text. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say, Asher Ani Oseh be dumb. It just says, Asher Ani Oseh. And then Rashi is actually translating it to be what I'm going to do in but that's not, I don't, I just was trying to read the text multiple times to see if I, I don't actually think that's what it's saying. And I think just in general, God is, I mean, if we're, if we're reading it in the context of the story, then of course, like we hear about Sodom right before and therefore after we might, it might be implied. But I think Rashi is reading into it to then make his own, make his own commentary. Because it just says, like, I, I think so much what Earth was saying, like, it just, it just says, I shouldn't hide anything from Abraham from what I'm going to do, in general, period, not necessarily about Sodom. And so it's interesting that Rashi then reads into that, that it must be that God is talking about only not hiding that which God would do by way of Sodom, which I think is probably not the case. Great. I'm more general than that. Rabbi Schatz is looking at the Hebrew. Yeah. Um, it says, Asher Ani Oseh. Right. right. So is that with, um, like in modern Hebrew, that would mean what I do. Yeah. Yeah. But here it's translated in probably the biblical with the what I'm doing, what I'm going yeah. to do, right, what I'm right, doing. Right. So, right. So I guess my question about that is how that canon should be read. Right. So if you read if you read the the verse out of context, just that one verse in the Torah. And God said, this um, <coughs> mask, literally, right? this hiding that I'm going to do from Abraham, should I do it? Right. So so it, that's why I was saying, like, it's, re it's Rashi really reading in Rashi's, I mean, Rashi's giving it drops. It's like every rabbi does. Yeah. Rashi's reading into it what Rashi wants to read into it. Great. Really. 
So just for the people on Zoom and for podcast and whatever, because um, we've had a long lull without the microphone. So what we were discussing was the fact that Rashi's reading in the fact that um, this is half, what God is going to do or doing in stone. It doesn't say that directly in the text. It's kind of, contextual clues could certainly point us in that direction, but it's not the exact text. It just says, should I let Avraham know what I'm going to do, period, or I, what I'm doing? But I think tense matters here yeah, in that translation. Totally. Yeah. Because if there is no actual connection to stone, if it's just that Avraham and Hashem are now in partnership, yeah. that's a completely different understanding totally. of the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and we're gonna not, not to give away what that's about to do, but the next commentary is going to have a different text. Right. So yeah. it's yeah. clear that it's, that it's, it's all yeah. yeah, so the grammar here really matters. <laughs> so um, I want to, I don't want to get um, stuck in the weeds on one text because I want to look at this in context of some other commentaries. So the next commentary we have is from Ora Chaim. Um, and uh, can I get a volunteer to read this? First of all, this is a good volume for everybody. Okay. And God, God had said, "Should I conceal for?" Oh, okay. God said, "Should I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do?" God chose the word "hamechased" deliberately. <clears throat> Abraham noted that the third angel had a mission which had so far not been revealed to him. In contrast with, in contrast, the missions of the other two angels, which had become manifest to him already. One come to heal him, and the other to tell Sarah about her impending motherhood. Moreover, the angels, when the angels departed from him, Abraham noticed that two of them walked in the direction of Sodom. Abraham accompanied these two angels to see them off. He realized that these angels still had a mission to perform on earth, something which had been concealed from him. Abraham would become aware of those angels' mission after the event. God was concerned lest he would feel badly in retrospect if he would not now to take him into his confidence, our sages state that the reason God decided to take Abraham into his confidence was because Abraham entertained doubts about the justice of God having brought on the deluge. He found it impossible to believe there had not been at least 10 or 20 righteous people at that time. In his opinion, God should have suspended judgment on their account. <clears throat> the words, Asher Ani Oseh, than mean as I am used to do as I'm used to do I, I do not destroy a nation unless there are no righteous people left great so how does Orachaim understand this text or why it is that God's saying should I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do yeah or yeah So God has gone through his search committee and doesn't want to have to convene a new one after Abraham finds out that that he was set up for a job that was impossible or like that he was going to Abraham was going to be undermined. Okay. So 
God's worried about what Abraham's going to do if Abraham finds out after the fact as opposed to beforehand. Okay. Great. So if I understand correctly, there's two parts to this. Um, I want to make sure I'm following what you're saying. I, I think that's what I'm saying. I don't know that I'm right, but I think that's what I'm so, saying. So, so, yeah. right. So, Ora Chaim is saying, just to, no, no, no. No, great. That, feel free to be upset um, with the commentary. But so the first half of this commentary is saying, we already know what to, assuming that these three men were angels, which is already going into a lot of interpretation, um, but it's an accepted interpretation, um, then angels have missions. And two of these angels have already fulfilled their mission. One of them healed Avraham after um, Avraham's brit milah. And the second one told Sarah that Sarah's about to become a mother. And this third angel was just there, like angels don't do that. Angels have missions. So the third angel must have had some mission. And I think you're right that he doesn't directly say what this mission is, but he hints at the fact that if, he, if the angel is walking off towards Sodom, the angel must have something to do with this. Right, which is really confusing that he mentions two of them walking off to Sodom, which is the text. But one of them has already, one of those angels theoretically has already fulfilled their mission. It doesn't quite add up. Um, the math doesn't quite work unless you understand angels as being able to either have multiple missions or that maybe one of the angels didn't actually complete a mission as he says. But he's, he's at least saying that the bridge between the two of these texts is that um, the angels were there at the beginning and the angels didn't complete, one of the angels at the very least did not complete their mission and has to go to Sodom, be involved with Sodom somehow to complete that mission. And then the second part of this, which is a little bit, only complicates things further, is um, the fact that um, he's looking at this text and saying, why is this written the way it is? And it must be that asher uh, aniyoseh, that I am doing is like how it would normally be, um, or like the simplest way of reading it. Um, but it can also mean something that I'm used to doing habitually. And so God is saying, I'm not used to habitually destroying whole groups of people unless they, there's absolutely no saving grace within them. So I need to send, I need to let Avram know that like, I'm about to do this. And, and then we get the story of Avraham going back and forth with God and saying, are there really no righteous people there so that Avraham can really understand, okay, this isn't just happening 
on a whim, this is a truly wicked group of people. They have no saving grace, and God isn't going back on the covenant with Noah. Yeah, so, right, so that's what he's getting at, is Orachim is saying, I made a covenant with humanity after the flood that I wasn't going to destroy all of humanity again, which Orachim is saying is a covenant to not destroy, to not, um, if you will, throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm, I'm going to make sure that whatever goodness is still left in the world is, is kept alive. Like any saving grace is enough to save everyone. And so what he's saying is that that's the call back to Noah is back then I, I saved the good and got rid of everything else. But this time around, there's no good to be saved. So I'm going to destroy everything again. And I don't want Avraham to think that I'm going back on that covenant, covenant with Noah. Yeah. So Abraham just like left everything he knew to, you know, be the first monotheist, trust in God, and God's not really quite sure that he's earning Abraham's trust in that Right. So Orachayim is saying there is certainly a sense in this understanding that Abraham, that God this reading would understand God is not thinking that Avraham trusts God. But that reading can also work with what happens at the end of the story with, because um, the Parsha ends with the Akedah, which we understand as being a test of Avraham's faith. So there is, there's some, there is what to stand on in saying that God may not trust, that Avraham trusts God. There's a lot of trust. Yeah. Well, even less of that, right? Like, I think, this is what I spoke about in the sanctuary this morning. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of what we find in less of that to be like what you would find in a relationship that's just beginning, right? So the kind of let you go to bring you back, you know, what, what is, what does it mean for, um, what does it mean for me to be able to give you space so that you can have your growth? Right? That's what God is basically doing and saying, Abraham, you need to get out of these places that you're really safe and feel very comfortable in. And you need to now grow in these other places so that you can become this great nation. And then all of these things happen to kind of test that relationship. Right. And I think, I think we get to a point with the Akedah where it's like, how, how much of this testing is actually going too far, right? At, at what point does that testing then stop? And then they can just be in, a relationship or not, right? <laughs> Does the test go too far for them to be able to resolve that relationship? Great. 
Great. So we had the. I want to. I want to summarize and then move on to the next text. Um, but um, so in Lech Lecha, we have God saying to Avraham, "You need to get out of your comfort zone and able in a in order to be able to grow." And then we have all these tests that are quasi opportunities for growth, quasi maybe going a little bit too far, um, as especially as the parsha moves on. Um, so I want to move on to this last text, and I really only want to focus, because um, for the sake of time, on um, the part where it goes in the Hebrew from Bet, Leman Hevi Hashem Gomer, um, which is in the Hebrew, um, the number, or in the English, in the number two. So this is, um, this is Dotse Kinim's understanding of the um, concealment factor. Can I get a volunteer to read just from number two on because the it's really just just so you know it's really just him kind of saying the same thing in number one but a lot shorter it's on the last page okay yeah the very last page appropriately okay. unless, unless. on the, the last page it's like the third last sentence okay unless his descendants were to practice justice and righteousness they would not inherit that land right so this is an understanding of why it is that god is speaking to avraham um thoughts how does it sit with you religion, join us. They formed the Jewish nation, you know, coming from the long march that was transformative from the organization I worked for, the Bombworkers. <laughs> because the march, what a march does, is all of a sudden people are coming, they've never seen that before, so they're coming with, like, forcing the mind to be open. So that then resonates with the last sentence. I'm creating now a people. It's like the most important Pasha since the Passover. So it's important because Lechacha was the forming of a nation, and and, then, and he's saying here um, that you're going to need to take care of the Sodom and Gomorrah's homelessness, all the problems we face. You know, present day Sodom. Yeah, but you can't, so, Okay, other thoughts? Joey? <laughs> About just verse number two, which I just read. <clears throat> I think this shows you that sometimes inheritance can have strings attached. Inheritance can have strings attached. You, can you elaborate a little bit? <clears throat> oh, yes. Yeah, because you only get if you're good kind of thing. You only get if you're good. So, so if you do the right things and such as what it says here, if you don't, because I'm to contradict what it says, if, if they don't practice justice and righteousness, then they don't, in my view, they don't deserve to inherit the land. Great. Sandra? 
hear otherwise than Hashem is being Abraham. And Abraham in order to, Abraham and his descendants and Jewish people to follow justice and righteousness um, need that example, need to have a just and righteous God. And so that, to me, would bring it back to why he has to have a conversation with Abraham. And I, I think actually it's more than just a conversation and not hide it from him, not hide his reasoning from him. Also, have that kind of back and forth, that whole argument Great. So, so this is, this is Hashem saying to Abraham, essentially, I, I know what I'm doing is just, but from the outside, it's not going to look that way. And I need you to understand why this is just, and we'll have a back and forth on this and make sure that we both feel comfortable that this is just, but ultimately, because you're going to be my spokesperson in the world for justice and righteousness, you need to understand why this is just. Is that? Um, yes and no. Yes, but also, um, you know, you have to understand that I am just. And so that's where I think that the whole uh, argument between Abraham and Hashem comes into play because it's about what, what, how we define Okay. So, so also that Abraham needs to understand not just that this action is just, but that God is a just being. Correct. But it's not like a parent saying, you know, I'm doing this for your own good. It's about working together as partners to bring justice into the world. But, but yes, it wouldn't be destroying the city. It does not appear to be just. Sodom and Gomorrah, like <laughs> yeah. you said with the homeless, like dropping an A-bomb on the homeless people. That's not okay. <laughs> yeah, so they need to, if they're going to be partners, if Avram and God are going to be partners in creation, they need to be on the same page about what justice is. Correct. And so God needs to bring Avraham onto that same page. Um, great. So I just want to, yeah, one last comment. Just so interesting, the Hebrew in the last Great. So you need to have justice and righteousness present in any society in order for it to, to actually be able to continue itself on. And so, and you need to protect that. And so that's really where this bridge then comes in from the first to the second. You're going to be the father of nations. You're going to bring, you're going to have a son who is going to carry on your line and you're going to inherit this land and you're, descendants will inherit this land. And they need to make sure that when they inherit this land that they're doing justice and righteousness in this land. Because otherwise, according to Datsakinim, this won't be their land anymore. Because look at what happens to lands that don't do justice and righteousness.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.